course, are not supposed to fight at all. Indeed, as senior churchmen, they are required to be either holy or perfect English gentlemen, or preferably both. How we all hanker after ideals, after certainties, and after absolute truths, which will provide us with security as we struggle to survive in the ambiguous, cloudy, chaotic world which surrounds us. Moreover, although in a rapidly changing society ideals may appear to be swept away by a rising tide of cynicism, the experience of the past demonstrates that people will continue to hunger for those ideals even when absolute truths are no longer in fashion. Society was certainly changing with great speed in the 1960s, and when I was a bishop I became famous for defending tradition at a time when all traditions were under attack. I had two heroes, St. Augustine, who had proclaimed the absolute truths till the end, even as the barbarians advanced on his city, and St. Athanasius, the bishop famous for being so resolutely contramundum against the world as he fought heresy to the last ditch. By 1965 I had decided that I, like my two heroes, was being obliged to endure a dissolute, demoralized, disordered society, and that my duty was to fight tooth and nail against decadence. A fighting bishop, unfortunately, has little chance to lead a quiet life, but I decided that was the price I had to pay in order to preserve my ideals. In the 1960s, there were three years which now stand out in my memory. The first was 1963, when I clashed with Aesgarth over that pornographic sculpture which he commissioned for the cathedral churchyard. It was the year Bishop John Robinson wrote his bestseller, Honest to God, a book which rocked the church to its foundations and the year I wrote in rebuttal, A Modern Heresy for Modern Man. That was when I ceased to be merely a conservative bishop, underlining the importance of preserving the accumulated wisdom from the past, and became a fighting bishop contra mundum. The second year, which I remember vividly, is 1968. That was the year young Nicholas Darrow, my spiritual director's son, was finally ordained, after what I suspected was a very shady interval in his private life. It was also the year my son Charlie became engaged, and my son Michael was married, yet despite these family milestones, 1965 remains the year which is most clearly etched in my memory. Not 1963, not 1968, but 1965. Let me now describe the man I was before my third catastrophe felled me, the catastrophe which arrived out of the blue. I had been the Bishop of Starbridge for eight years, and despite a tentative start, I had become highly successful. My sons were both doing well in their chosen careers, and although in their different ways they still worried me, I had come to the conclusion that as a parent I must have been doing something right. At the very least, I felt I deserved a medal for paternal endurance. I was on happier ground when I considered my marriage, now almost twenty-eight years old, and a perfect partnership. In short, I was not ill-pleased with my life. And stimulated by this benign opinion of myself, I travelled constantly around my ecclesiastical fiefdom, spoke forcefully on education in the House of Lords, held forth with confidence on television discussion programmes, ruled various committees with an iron hand, and terrorised the lily-livered liberals of the Church Assembly. I also had sufficient zest to maintain my prowess on the golf course, and enjoy my wife's company on the days off, which she so zealously preserved for me, amidst the roaring cataract of my engagements. Occasionally I felt no older than forty-five. On my bad days I felt about fifty-nine. 
On average, I felt somewhere in my early fifties. In fact, I was as old as the century, but who cared? I was fit, busy, respected, pampered, and privileged. Frequently and conscientiously I thanked God for the outstanding good fortune which enabled me to serve Him as He required, and what He required, I had no doubt, was that I should fight slipshod thinking by defending the faith in a manner which was tough-minded and intellectually rigorous. St. Augustine and St. Athanasius, I often told myself, would have been proud of me. I was proud of me, although, of course, I had far too much spiritual savoir-faire to do other than shove this secret opinion of myself to the very back of my mind. By 1965 I was too preoccupied by my current battles to waste much time visualizing my future obituary in the Times. But on those rare moments when I paused to picture my posthumous eminence, I saw long, long columns of very dense newsprint. God.